You're listening to Megiddo Radio. Megiddo Radio is a radio ministry of Megiddo Media. For more, visit our website at megiddoradio.com. That's megiddoradio.com. Good evening and welcome everybody. This is Paul Flynn with Megiddo Radio for Tuesday the 22nd of June 2021. Thank you all for tuning in. On tonight's program, we're going to be looking at a topic, going to be doing some critiques over the summer and one of those, one of the areas we sometimes, if you, if this is one of the first times you listen to this program, sometimes you do look at things relating to the charismatic movement. And I don't really make an apology about this. Uh, for years, I've looked at various different claims made by the charismatic movement. And I, I, I think I don't, it does happen that there are critiques sometimes, but I think they're more and more infrequent. Uh, years ago, there was books that would come out. O'Palmer Robertson, uh, Walter Chantry back in the 70s wrote a book against the charismatic movement. Uh, John MacArthur is probably the last big person within uh, cessationism, whatever you want to say, who was critique it. There are others, but um, there's also the danger I will say this of being imbalanced and maybe too fixated on uh, catching every single charismatic error out there. And, and, and I, that is a real problem. But at the same time, th these things need to be looked at and examined because of the fact that if we don't, there's so many people, right? There's so many people in, in churches, even in Reformed churches, who are believing much of the claims that we'll even be dealing with this evening. And, I'm, and I've met people. I've met people who go to Reformed churches, very nice people, but they've just never, ever heard a critique about this. Now, I don't know if everything has gone live. I'm not too sure. Uh, <laughs> maybe I'm just being cynical. Uh, there's no way of checking from Sermon Audio. Hopefully Sermon Audio is going well. Uh, it seems to be, and uh, nothing seems to be gone wrong yet. Uh, we're three minutes in, and uh, if you're on YouTube, you could let me know if, if everything sounds okay, because uh, the last few weeks, I'm, <laughs> it didn't go so well. Um, hopefully, you know, I kind of, um, before before I pressed uh, the, uh, the button to kind of go live and start playing myself. I almost like second guess myself as like something's broken here. I just can't see it. So anyway, so um, if you keep me in your prayers. So before we get into our main topic, we're going to be looking, by the way, uh, that what I'll be critiquing tonight is uh, Perry Stone. Um, there's a video. He, I think it's one of his, I think it's his podcast, Seven Words from an Angelic Vision. And rather than just saying, oh, this is silly, oh, this is low-hanging fruit, oh, this is whatever, 
I think lovingly we should respond to this. And I just pray by the grace of God, if you are someone who would hold to these views espoused by Perry Stone, that you would listen all the way through. And I pray by the grace of God that I'm not going to be the person who's just trying to laugh with you all the way through, because I've seen stuff like that. And I, and I pray that I have, that I don't do it that way because I've met people charis with charismatics with charismatic views like this and they are open to being corrected and they do grow and their zeal will put me to shame so this in no way shape or form is meant to be a put down or whatever the case may be it's just deep concern over the what i see is the erosion of the the view of sola scriptura in many many circles so before we get into the, the main part of the program we're going to do our opening reading of scripture, and we're reading through the Psalms. Sometimes we'll play a Psalm being sung. Uh, thanks a million in the chat for letting me know that everything's going well. We really appreciate that. Um, I, I'm hearing a buzzing in my ears, but that could just be my, um, I think my in-ear monitor seems to be, uh, it might be slightly broken, but that's that's uh, for another day. Okay, so we're going to read through Psalm 37. We're just going to read the first 11 verses and Again, uh, just to anchor ourselves in, in the scriptures, in the truth, and with the Spirit of God to guide us, because rather than this, again, being some put down and say, intellectually, we're going to go, ah, you're wrong here, but there's got to be a spiritual purpose to all these things. So um, let us pray before Almighty God. Father, Lord in heaven, we come before you. We seek your help, O Lord, and we pray, O, F o Lord, that you would bless those listening to the program and uh, help us to understand your word and to help us to respond in a Christian godly way and to correct error, O Lord, that draws us away from you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm 37, we're going to read the first 11 verses because it's quite a long psalm. Um, and I would encourage you to read it, encourage you to sing as I do most episodes, to sing through the Psalter. Uh, to deal with for your own edification, but also because we're commanded to do it. Um, Psalm 37, verse 1. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Dwell yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because for him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. And may the Lord bless his word. Now, we get into our critique but just before we do really just 
it's very, as all the Psalms are, very pertinent to what we're looking at. Don't fret. Don't fret because of false teachers. And now, can I be honest? I don't know all the ins and outs of Perry Stone, and I've intentionally tried to stay away from coloring my critique of him because I don't want to know as much as I don't want to kind of, you know, when you're doing a critique of Benny Hinn and you realize he's got whack theology and other areas. Well, okay. But I want to deal with this very clip and what he's saying here, not because not even about Perry Stone, to be honest about this view, because it is quite popular. It's nothing new. Views of angelic visitation go right back to the medieval ages. There's, uh, they've always been somewhat popular. So nothing new here. It's not even new with the charismatic movement. It's just the way they've been received in, especially in the Reformed Church. But we'll get onto that later. So don't fret. Even with false teachers. By the way, I'm not saying Perry Stone's a false teacher. I don't know. I don't know enough about him to be honest to make that claim. Don't be envious of the workers of iniquity. Trust in the Lord. Continue to do good. Keep going. Not easy, but we need to be in the word of God if we're going to do that. And we need to be on our knees if we're ever, ever going to be able to have the, the, the enabling by the spirit of God to be able to do that. So now we're going to start our critique now. Um, Again, if you probably email me, we get a radio at gmail.com if you want the link. But it's, it seems to be a podcast, seven words from an, an, an angelic vision, visitation, sorry. I've been meaning to do something like this for quite some time. Never done anything on angelic visitation before, per se. I've done stuff on... Genesis 6 stuff from what I believe is a biblical perspective. Uh, a Nothing unique to me, by the way. It's stuff that's been taught throughout church history, and I believe that it's much more consistent um, than some views that are being spread around the internet, quite, quite frankly. But as we come to this, I kind of want to deal with how to deal with such claims. Um, and where our focus should be. Now, when it comes to angels, in general, by the way, they are, the the Greek word angelos just means angel or messenger. They are a messenger. They are the most exalted created beings. They're obviously below God. Um, in If you look at Hebrews chapter one, they are used as the, almost the comparison point with the Lord Jesus Christ, making it very clear that he is exalted above the angels because, why compare him with them? Because they are the most exalted beings. There's a kind of a sense in which in scripture, if there's an angelic being before you, men wanted to fall down and worship them. Now, sometimes in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord was actually the pre-incarnate Christ. And in which case, worship was obviously okay. But there are other times when now, don't worship me because, you know, um, the, you know, there's other times when, you know, there you'd see people in an exalted state and things like that, that there's a, an urge on the behalf of the other person to, to worship. Now, the problem is 
this goes beyond our comprehension, much of it. We are told some things about angels. And we're so fascinated. Humans are so fascinated in this topic. It's very hard for us to restrain ourselves and to stick with what the word of God says and to not allow our imagination to fill in the rest. And I just encourage you to do that as we're listening through this, that we would not allow our imagination to fill in the rest and to be refilled in with the imagination of other men, for that matter. The next couple of weeks, you're going to be hearing a lot of new messages and some things I've shared over the past that we're bringing out and adding to because our audience in Manifest changes about every three months. And so we don't want to leave out anything that we feel like is a now, now word from the Lord. I'm going to be sharing with you. A okay, I'm, there's times I'm going to stop because this is particularly pertaining to Sola Scriptura. Something that is a message that they've received outside of the canon of Scripture, outside of the 66 books of, of the Scriptures, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Outside of that, they believe that there's things that are, it is the, the word of the Lord specifically for specific people. By definition, if it is the word of God, it carries authority because it's God's word. By definition, you can't believe in sola scriptura. Okay, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the implications of this. So, up until the completion of the canon of Scripture, there were times of angelic visitation, there were times of all, all sorts of supernatural activity. Not all the time. It wasn't even normative, even in... There was three main periods of time when it, it, there was kind of explosions of it, if you forgive the expression, around Moses, time of Elijah, Elisha, and um, then on the time, during the time of the apostles, okay? And of course, during Jesus' ministry. Outside of that, you don't see much. And this is not me saying, by the way, that I don't believe that miracles happen today. I'm happy to accept that people are miraculously healed. But not through somebody claiming to be a healing prophet. You can pray, um... You know, if somebody's been diagnosed with terminal cancer and you pray and you get together with your church, as you should, even if they say there's no hope that this person will be saved, and you pray because you know that the Lord is in complete control and the Lord can heal. But there's no apostles anymore. There's no prophets. There's nobody leaning, leaning hands on. There's, and by the way, there's nobody raising the dead either. Um, so I'm happy to... There are things that God does miraculously that we can't explain. But they're not signs and wonders in the biblical sense, because the signs and wonders were often either validating or pointing towards the one who was the, the, the channel of divine truth. The apostles, the prophets such as Elisha and Elisha, and Moses himself, and validating that this was the word of the living God, for God is not the author of confusion. 
message called Seven Words from an Angelic Visitation. And I want you to pay careful attention to this because these seven words literally transformed my spiritual walk with God. And everyone that has heard this has told me the same thing. So let's begin right now. Hebrews chapter 13, verses one and two says this, let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now, we know that when we read Genesis chapter 19, that there were times... It's very dangerous as a rule of thumb just to be hopping around the Bible. And um, this isn't something, by the way, that just the, bar, the Pentecostal charismatic movement does. Explain the text. Don't just hop around because... Um, I think the claim is made, well, it's a text. He quotes a text from Hebrews. The text says, dealing with hospitality. And yes, it is talking about angels and entertaining angels unaware. Um, but you're probably getting too much out of it. Just in case anybody's confused by what he just said, I found a really helpful comment before this program when I was looking through Matthew Poole's commentary on this, and I'll just quote you briefly what he says about this, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. He says this, the advantage that accrues to such hosts of the Christian church and its members is great. So the whole point of it is, right, the blessing, the blessing, angels bring blessing as they did back in Genesis 19. There's an element of truth to what Perry Stone is saying. I'm not saying that there's zero truth here, but the problem is in the trajectory that you take it in, that is the problem sometimes. Um, Poole writes, for in the exercise of this duty, Abraham Lot being strangers and waiting to entertain such, received angels into their tabernacles and house. Genesis um uh, what is it, 18, 2, and 3, and sweet discoveries of God in the Messiah made to them were delivered by them from judgment as Lot. And it gives a couple of other scripture references, Genesis 19, verses 10, 15, 17. So there is a connection, but what is the connection? And now the general guard of angels goeth along with the saints and are entertained in them who never come without a blessing. Let's read that again. And now the general guard of angels goeth along with the saints. We know from other texts of scripture, I think it's in Hebrews chapter one, they're ministering saints and they minister to the ones who are saved. Puritans wrote about this as well. It's not like none of the reformed have ever written about this. They have, um, and are entertained in them. So it's basically the saints and the angels are entertained with them, who never come without a blessing. They, attending them in their way, defending them against evil spirits and offensive ones, and place where they are, though their ministry be little observed or acknowledged as it ought. Chapter 1, verse 14, Hebrews. Not only angels, but Christ himself accompanieth his pilgrim members and is entertained. Fed comforted and lodged in and with them. And gives a couple other, and there's a tiny bit extra as well. So the Poole's understanding of the text, and I think it makes far more sense than, well, you don't know if they're angels or men. Okay, I know you can go to Genesis 19 and say, well, they said that there were men and there was all that kind of stuff. But the what seems to make a lot more sense well, they knew after that there were angels, by the way. 
um, in Genesis 19 even. But it seems to make far more sense that the sense of, let's go back a tiny bit, of the text in Hebrews 13 verses 1 to 2. Let brotherly love continue. Notice how it's not angelic love or anything else like that. It's brotherly love. One toward another. Actually, let's let's stick with it. I don't want to labor too much on this, but I think because just to show you how a little detail, um, and Hebrews 1.14 says this, um, and they are all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who inherit salvation. So, and there's a question mark at the end of that. Um, basically, they are, because that's the role of, they minister to those who are those who are inheriting salvation. They're there to serve. They're there to minister. They're there to help. We don't completely understand everything. You know, there's this limitation what we understand about these things, and we need to be diligent not to go any further. But if you look at the end of verse uh, Hebrews chapter twelve, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptable with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. Uh, start of Hebrews uh, 13. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some are unwittingly entertain, entertained angels. Remember the prisoners if they chained with you. So the the most natural way of understanding this is the angels are going with the brothers. This is all about brotherly love. First one. This is all about brotherly love. Enter hospitality. This, this verse is all about hospitality. And there's a blessing. There's a blessing that comes with it. To read anything else into it would be unwise. Okay. Unawares. Now, we know that when we read Genesis chapter 19, that there were times and seasons in history when angels would come down in the form of individuals or humans. In fact, when you looked at them, uh, you could not physically tell them apart from a human being. And that's very evident when you read the story of the two angels that visited Lot, warning him of the soon coming destruction and how the men of Sodom thought that they were actually men when in reality, they were angels in human form. And all through the Old Testament, especially there in the book of Judges, angels would appear and they would look like men. Now, we do know that the possibility still exists for that to occur today. My daddy would always see someone that looked very poor and he would try to help them, maybe give them. Now, he kind of just skips along and just says, we know that this is a possibility today. Now, it depends what you mean by possibility. Of course, God can do anything. There's nothing restrains him or anything else like that. But is he the author of confusion? Is he sending messages here, messages there, unconfirmed, un... Putting aside the whole cessationism, continuationism debate, right? Putting that aside for a second. Um, and even, you know, there's... Quite frankly, if you look through church history, it's only really in the last hundred years, maybe the lines of definitely nothing supernatural and how you just define that and miracles can't, you know, since the days of B.B. Warfield onwards, probably in response to the Irvingite movement in the 19th century, these kind of lines were not really as carefully defined if you go back in history. 
But there was far more of a sense of if God was communicating, he'd confirm it. Now, I believe the canon of Scripture is shut. Scripture is sufficient. But unfortunately, a lot of these teachers, they take the, the, the Word of God and then they hop, almost bounce off it and bounce away from it to somewhere else and to some other, sadly, some other form of authority. One time I asked Dad, I said, Dad, why do you always stop for someone and help them? He said, son, you never know. It could be an angel unaware. Now, angels in the Old Testament... Yeah, I, I don't really see any reason to see the start of Hebrews 13 that way. For me, it's kind of jumping around a bit. It's really talking about brotherly love and in the context of... Hebrews 1.14, as in, they bring a blessing. But. And New Testament have various manifestations when they come, because they can come in a dream, for example, a vision, or as we mentioned earlier, in the appearance of a human form from time to time. Uh, in, in the experience of visions, we find that Daniel had uh, several different occasions and actually two chapters in his prophetic book in which the angel Gabriel came to him directly, giving him prophetic information and visions concerning the future. Actually, Gabriel interpreted on several occasions experiences that Daniel had in the form of visions or dreams, giving him the understanding of those particular supernatural manifestations. In the New Testament, just the way, just just to kind of like get you to think as you're listening along with it, he's really putting what has been given to various supposed prophets and all this kind of stuff on the par, what was given to Abraham, Daniel, and et cetera, and so on. There's no demarcation. There's no kind of Wayne Grudem thing kind of going on where this is, you know, a bit different or something like that. No, this is on the same plane. At least no distinction has been made here. We find that the angel Gabriel also came to Mary and came to uh, Zechariah, who would be the father of John the Baptist, and told both of them they would have sons. Uh, one would be called John, one would be called Jesus. John would come in the spirit and power of Elijah, and of course, uh, Jesus Christ would be called the Son of God. So these are all angelic manifestations that occurred in Scripture. So what has happened uh, a few years ago that I'm going to be sharing uh, with you is one of the most dynamic stories I ever heard in my life. And I want to go ahead and... It's some of the most dynamic jumping around. Uh, this happened, this happened, this happened. Oh, there... Oh, by the way, this happened also. Yeah, um, the difference is with all the things you just mentioned, they're all recorded in Scripture. And Scripture is our authority. That's sola scriptura. We believe, our, we believe that the scriptures have been inspired by the Spirit of God, written by God, and then preserved so that they are authoritative. They are the highest authority. They are the, the judgment by which we judge all things, truth claims, etc., and so on. Ask yourself the question, because when it comes to to Moses or Jesus and the apostles, they were, they were accompanied by 
miracles. They were pro prophesied beforehand what would happen. There was ways of validating it. Beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is the word of God. God is not the author of confusion, right? But ask yourself the question, as he's presenting this, is there any way of validating the story he's about to present to us right here? Get into that right now. Several years ago, we went to uh, East Point, Florida. My wife, of course, was with me, and and uh, we were staying there on near the water, some very beautiful area. And there was a pastor by the name of Robert Kimberling, and he had invited us to preach at the Church of God there in the there in the state of Florida. And I did not know this, but his wife had been associated many years ago with several of the great healing evangelists. She had actually uh, sat under their ministry and were a part of these men's ministry. So my question for her was, tell me about some of the miracles that you saw take place in the prayer lines and in the services of these men. Then I said, what's the greatest thing you ever saw or heard? Well, she looked at her husband and he looked back at her and he said, well, I'm going to tell you. Okay. Questions like this are dangerous off the bat. And there's almost, this isn't stuff I haven't seen. I mean, I'm not saying that I haven't seen, I've seen kind of miracles or anything claimed by them, but I have, I've met many people over the years, not so many in the last years because I'm more in reform circles, but over the years who come forward with claims that it's almost like they're trying to, unwittingly, they're trying to outdo each other for what's the greatest thing you've ever seen? What's the greatest manifestation you ever saw? And everybody's gathering and saying, whoa, everybody, we live in an era, right? And I'm not against testimonies. It's great to share a good testimony, but we're almost bored by the person who's been raised in church and who loves the Lord and is being faithful and has been regenerated from a young age, praise God, and et cetera, and so on. There's, we're almost like, oh, okay. No, that's wonderful. Okay. Yes, it's great when God takes a person out of a horrible background and rebellion and sin. And there's joy in the presence of angels. Wonderful. We, you go out and evangelize and that's great. That's wonderful. But we've all, we've almost got a culture that's perhaps within the church looking for excitement and say, oh, you know, we're looking for examples of the miraculous. And it can be sometimes in, in testimonies and, and things like that. Again, I'm not against testimonies, but you've got to be sometimes careful and wise about testimonies that it's somebody with a, with a bit of a track record. I mean, I've had some testimonies on this program years ago. Richard Bennett um, is one. He had a big, long track record of being converted and reached out to Roman Catholics and things like that. And you knew what he believed and th things like that and, and wrote a book for Banner of Truth. You know, like a bit of a track record and a good track record and um and other people as well who and i try to limit that i mean if it's a bit of a conveyor but again i'm not saying that you have to be that strict or anything like that but i think we can be so we're trying to almost hype up what we've seen what we've heard and our testimony and and in the charismatic movement there's there's almost a within much of it a hunger for the spectacular, the the wow, where much of Christian life is 
it is wonderful, of course. But we've been led away from word-based faith, listening to the written word of God, what we can verify, replaced with messages and unverifiable things from all these different movements. And look, if you look at the history, if you look at the history of cults and things like that, I'm not saying that the charismatic movement is a cult. Well, parts of it is, frankly, but... If you look at the history of cults, such as Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses and things like that, how often is it the angel Moroni or somebody like that came to me and gave me a message? You've all been doing it wrong. Now, the thing is with the charismatic movement, they'll say, I got a message. And, oh, by the way, we believe the Bible too. There's a massive inconsistency here because um, you don't believe in sola scriptura. And that's one of the souls of the Reformation gone. And I, I really want people who are who are Calvinistic, there are some people Calvinistic, and would lean towards to be open to the, the gifts and the miracles and all this kind of stuff, just to study it and think about it more. And I think, just even the people I just mentioned, I think a lot of them would probably reject some of the claims that have been made here. Probably. But you kind of ask yourself, are we looking for constant signs, miracles, and wonders to validate the scriptures? They've already been given. We have a more sure word of prophecy. And yes, we struggle with our faith at times and we need help and things like that, but we need, we're looking for it in all the wrong places. something that happened to us years ago that may be one of the greatest stories I've ever heard. Well, needless to say, I was all ears. And this is how the story goes. In 1985, Pastor Kimberling and his wife were called upon by the Church of God to go to South Dakota, Lemon, South Dakota, and pastor a very historical church in that city. In fact, many great spiritual leaders came out of that church. When they arrived, there was a clerk uh, of the church by the name of Valley Bishop, and Valley said to him, said, there is a senior member of our church, a great woman of God. Her name is Liz Brockwell. She lives about 40 uh, miles from here in Bison, South Dakota. She's an elderly lady, and she wants you to come and visit her. Well, the pastor set up the meeting and he, he assumed that they would just kind of drop in, say hello and greet her and leave. But when they arrived, she was cooking for them and told them they had to stay and eat because she had a story she needed to tell them. Well, they sat down, of course, and uh, Liz proceeded to tell the story about her and her husband, Adam, and her two daughters and an event that happened right on the verge in the edge of the Great Depression. And I want you to listen to this story very carefully. Okay, um, my daughter, we were having a chat about this, actually, uh, and <laughs> and I was trying to get with my kids to examine all things. They're only six, but they're trying to get them to think through things. Um, and I remember she asked me, do you believe him? And I was like, I asked her, do you believe him? And she was like, no. Um, and there, there's a couple of possibilities. Story's made up. He's naive and he believes the story. There's some elements of truth to the story, but parts of it are embellished. Probably the, the last one. Um, but even if you could 
even if somebody was visited by some angelic being, let's just say that this is every single bit of it is correct. Some angel visited him and got this message and there's this healing. And even if all this is true, so I would still say, so what? The reason I say so what is because how do you know it's from God? How do you know that it's not a satanic counterfeit? How do you know that the message isn't from another source? What would they have to gain by that? Well, they're getting you to go away from the word of God. Satan is a, an angel of light. So there's a number of possibilities. When, you're, when, you're, when, when somebody's telling you stories like this, I suppose erring the sight of they're just, they're genuine. Try to be patient within reason. Um, if they're ringing you every five minutes with the latest every, you know, maybe not, but some of them are open to being corrected and some come out. Some come out and you know what? Um, they make, so there's some, again, there's some fantastic Christians in the charismatic movement. They just need, they just need instruction. And they don't need pop shots. It's not going to help. We're too, the charismatic movement itself is terrible, but there are genuine sheep within the movement. There's many false teachers within the movement. There are many synagogues of Satan in the movement. The prosperity gospel is no gospel at all. But there are pockets of zealous people who, quite frankly, when they look across at some of our reformed churches, might we might look kind of dead, look kind of lifeless. And you look at the charismatic movement, and they're all getting out there and evangelizing and and what are we doing? Relatively speaking, some cases, not maybe not nearly as much. So they're just zealous. They just got saved. They might have had a drug background or whatever else. And they see, for all it's false, the charisma, they're getting out there. So many of these people, some of them, they mean well, you know, the, who believe this. But even if you could verify all the things you say, oh, it's something, how do you know it's from God? Remember uh, years ago, I did a program on the, the Mary, supposed Mary visitation in Fatima. Some of the message will sound kind of quote unquote biblical kind of. Now we know what it's not. But maybe there was something that's super... I don't even know. Maybe there's something supernatural to take place down there. It seems like it did, actually. It seems like it was kind of bizarre. Because for thousands of people to be all into that. But is it of God? Are we saying that every... Are we saying... This would be a dangerous position to have. That every single supernatural activity has to be from God. And this is kind of the way we approach this thing. Yeah, it can be supernatural. It can be wow. It can be like wow. That's that's incredible. That's amazing. But is it of God? Is it from God? How do you know it's from God? 
think. Think. And I'm going to give you the brief of it and tell you the seven words that literally changed my life when I heard them that came from an angel of the Lord. And so it, this, it came from an, how do you know? How do you know? It could be an angel of the devil. And it changed his life. Not, not a text of the scripture. But an unverified message from outside of the scripture, another source, another spirit. They, she, Liz began to talk about it was the late 1920s, about somewhere around 1928, 29. And the Dust Bowl was occurring. And if you don't know anything about that historically, that was the time when uh, there was a drought in the Midwestern part of the United States and you couldn't grow food and the winds were blowing and the farmland was just being covered by dust and nothing. It was just a really, really serious time. And of course, the Great Depression even made it worse. But they had a, like a farm, a large farm, and Adam had come down with tuberculosis, which was quite common back in that day. And he was already in a sanitarium, which was miles away in Rapid City, South Dakota. He was there at this time when this happened. So Liz's husband, there, there she is. The, her husband is in a sanitarium in South Dakota, sick and actually dying. Her two daughters are depending upon her uh, to try to help them. The farm is not producing anything. And to make matters worse, they had a, this beautiful cow that had somehow got into a fence and cut itself up really bad to the point that an infection had set in and maggots were coming out of the cow's body. And they knew they were going to have to kill the cow. Well, of course, that, they depended on the milk from the cow and so many other uh, things of that nature. Well, this is what happened. Uh, uh, the doctor called Liz and asked her to bring a suit for the, for the following weekend to the sanitarium. One of the things a lot of these stories you'll notice that they're told, I've noticed with a couple of them, just kind of told in a million miles an hour. And it's very, very hard to keep up with all the details. But again, how do you know that any of this stuff took place? And even if it did take place, how do you know it's of God? Um, a very, there's a, there's a comment in, um, the, in the chat in YouTube, um, said, uh, one of the, one of the people in the YouTube chat, chat, uh, welcome Isabella. Um, when I was in a new age, I believe the book, a woman wrote saying Mary visited her. Yep. And they, you know, there's actually quite an overlap between the new age and some of the charismatic claims. Some of them. Bethel Reading completely embrace it and they actually say well you see the new age they've actually uh, taken it from us um, and it goes really dangerous really dangerous really far and some of the things that they're claiming are not that different and we find this stuff fascinating uh, remember that program back in um, what was it back in the 1980s there was a pro wasn't it Touched by an Angel I think that was the program I watched it growing up. I mean, we didn't, you know, probably because it wasn't much on television, but <laughs> um, you almost, you were just hoping that, you know, you're going through a difficult time in life and that some angel is just going to take care of you and help you through. And now 
there's some element of truth in there. Now, the element of truth is there if you repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ. There is, there are angels that will minister to you. Again, remind yourselves. See, I don't want to be like kind of going, there are angels. It's incredible. They bring blessings. I love that comment from Matthew Poole. You know, it, it's, I'd have to study the text more, but it seems to make a lot of sense what he's saying about the text. Hebrews 1.14. Are they not all ministering spirits? Speaking about the angels. Send forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. Ministering spirits. Again, limitation on how we, how we can know and all this kind of stuff. Not the Hollywood production of it, where somebody comes along and is your buddy and everything gets fixed. And then he goes on to the next place and, and he fixes that also. Oh, sorry, yeah. Thank you for correcting me. Highway to Heaven. Oh, is, or is that a different program? Yeah. In the chat. Yeah, so wasn't there a couple of programs like that back in the 80s? Um, yeah, I'm actually... Do you know what? The program I was thinking of was Highway to Heaven, not Touched by an Angel. And I was... Yeah. Yeah, and, I, and that's, the, that's, the, that's the image people get of angels sometimes. Whatever they see in Hollywood or... And again, just somebody you're feeling low and you're you're a bit lonely and you want somebody to come along and fix all your problems. Click your finger and give you the best advice and all this kind of stuff. And I suppose that stuff was more popular back in the 80s because we were a tiny bit more religious and things were on the decline. That's how stuff like that was popular. We need to have as our source of authority and we all need encouragement. We all need encouragement. The source of our encouragement to come from the word of the living God, not other sources, not other sources. Because if you are, if your source of authority is here, there and everywhere, it's a cacophony of confusion at best. Worst, you're not really following God at all. This is the danger as well with the charismatic movement, because you may look I acknowledge that there are people who are zealous about the Lord, but there's also people who are zealous. But not about the Lord, but voices they hear. I also have to acknowledge that. So, um, let's play and keep going. We're not going to play all of this, um, just a few more minutes up until probably about the hour mark, and we'll finish off there. Because her husband was dying with tuberculosis, and uh, what she actually did was she went to a trunk and she pulled his suit out of this trunk, took it out to the clothesline, and I don't know why they did this back then. I guess they had another way of doing it. And she was taking a stick and beating that the that uh, uh, suit, and uh, kind of getting the suit prepared, of course, for her husband as she was going to take it uh, to the sanitarium. And the, the plans were to put him in it for a funeral that he would have. So all of this was taking place. It was a very difficult time. And Liz told the pastor, she said, all of a sudden I looked in the distance and she said, I saw this whirlwind coming, which is not uncommon in that part of the country on the farms. And they used to call it a devil wind because sometimes it would pick up the dust back in that day and they would just carry this dust and just drop it, you know, all over the place. And she saw it coming in a distance and she said, Lord, 
here I am. My husband has tuberculosis. The cow is dying, the only cow we have. And uh, now a wind's coming this direction while I'm trying to fix my husband's suit. Could you help me? God, please help me. And she began to... Now, just saying, right, it, it's right for a Christian, everything's going to pray and keep praying. The Lord can and often does heal and do all sorts of things. Yes, I'm not denying that at all. Do you understand what I'm saying? But the scriptures as a source of authority is the issue here. Just in case, because I talk to people sometimes and they misunderstand cessationist view. I think sometimes even cessationists misunderstand the cessationist view. There's nothing to say, and, and we're in trouble ground, if we say that we can't pray to God, and then, you know, if somebody, just say, again, the example of this crisis, somebody's in a hospital, and it looks like they're going to die. And all the medical advice, they haven't got hope. There's no hope. But we know as Christians, there is hope. And the Lord can heal them, Okay. But not by laying hands on them, and not in the same way as the first century. God is all powerful, but it is not a sign, give a miracle of wonder. Not in the same category. Again, it's wonderful what happens. Again, as it is with all answered prayer. But we got to make the distinction between the two of them because, because we should. Look to the Lord and believe that he can answer prayer in that sense. We don't want to be on one side. We don't want to be products of the Enlightenment on one extreme or complete mystics on the other with no proper concrete views of what we actually hold. It's just wherever the, the wind seems to take us. Out to the Lord. And all of a sudden, the wind stopped very close to her. It just stopped, and a man was in the middle of it. He looked like a normal man, but he was actually an angel of the Lord. And when this angel of the Lord appeared to her, of course, naturally, great fear. Okay, uh, I'm getting slightly skeptical of the story at this point. Um, having said that, I think I've seen whirlwinds. I think I saw one in the middle of a beach in Italy one time. Kind of just looked like a tiny tornado. Maybe that's what he's talking about. There's also a possibility that, look, there's all sorts of things. People are desperate. And in the situation that he's describing with his family and things like that, it sounds like they were going through a horrible time and they were desperate. But whatever the case, whatever the truth may be of the story, whether it's 100% fiction 50% fiction, whatever the case may be, we have no way of verifying it, and we have no way of knowing if it was an angel of the Lord. At all. None. Upon her, she was in shock, but he actually audibly spoke to her. When he spoke to Liz, he said this, your husband, Adam, will not die. He will return home healed and he will father another daughter and he will live to be very old to see his entire family raised. Now, this man is saying this to her. 
that has stepped out of this whirlwind. Then the angel says, as a sign to you that this will occur, the cow will rise up and walk to the barn under his own power and your cow will live. And of course, the cow had been lying down because it was unable to get up. And as I said earlier, maggots were beginning, were beginning to come out of the sore where it was, where the, the opening was. So Liz answered this angel of the Lord and said these words, if this happens, I will sell the cow and give the money to world missions. Back then, missions was a great project. And a lot of the missionaries were short of finances. So she was going to sell the cow when God healed it and give it to missions. The angel had this perplexing look come on its face, on his face. And he pointed his finger and said these seven words. He called her name and said, Liz, there are no ifs in God's plan. When Brother Kimberling said this to me, my hair on the back of my arms and back and everywhere else on my body stood straight up. And I literally remember jumping up from the couch and I said, say it again. He said, the angel told Liz, there are no ifs in God's plan. Now I'm going to come back and I'm going to talk to you. This is what I'm going to focus on in a minute is this, the if. At this point, you have another authority. It is not scripture. It's not scripture. And he even talks about later how he preached on the factor that is hindering your prayer life and your answers from God. But let me tell the rest of the story. Later and all this teaching, there's, there are things you can teach from the scriptures that do hinder your prayer life. Sin, disobedience to God, uh, unforgiveness, all the things like that hinder your prayer life. But you back it up by scripture, not an angel in the middle of somewhere said such and such. That day, her brother-in-law came with the shotgun to kill the cow. Well, when he came with the shotgun, the cow had still been lying down after this visitation. The cow jumped up on its own. The maggots on the side began to fall out and it walked to the barn by itself. Later, her father showed up and when he saw the cow in the barn walking around and actually uh, feeding off a little bit of hay, he said, oh my, oh my, this is a miracle of God. This is a miracle of God. It's a miracle. He had a strong German accent. And of course, God literally healed the cow. Well, what about her husband? Well, she didn't even take the suit. She went to the sanitarium uh, on the weekend, walked in, and the doctor said, where is that suit? She said, he's not going to need it because God came to me, an angel did, and said he's going to be healed. And he rebuked her for being a religious fanatic. She didn't care. Two weeks later, he left the sanitarium completely healed of tuberculosis. And the funny part was he outlived his own doctor. He went home. Of course, they had another daughter. And the rest was history. God supernaturally showed. Okay, and he goes on to tell. It's tall stories. It's it's basically tall tales. No way of confirming any of it. The scary thing is this: at as of this program, there are something like I think it's like one hundred eleven thousand views. Most of the ratio on this video on YouTube is. 99.99%, whatever the percentage is, positive towards this video. In a day where it's very hard to get stuff on, you know, YouTube and stuff like that, and it tends to be quite squashed. It's uh, kind of amazing how that, how that works, but I digress. Um, with this kind of naivety, 
I remember years ago, Michael L. Brown, right? Dr. Brown, who does the, the what's the name of it again? The Line, line of Fire? Um, yeah, is that the name of the program? Line of Fire? Um, it's been a lot, it's, it's been that long since I've did any critiques of Michael Brown. Um, probably one of the most biggest, most quote unquote respected charismatic defenders out there wrote an article for Charisma about the naivety of the charismatic movement. And, uh, and you have people acknowledging the naivety of the charismatic movement, but they're still open to stuff like that. And, and probably in the more conservative end, there's still kind of moments of strangeness. Probably most conservative is probably like really, really conservative end of it would be John Piper, Wayne Grudem. And then Michael Brown. But if you go back to Michael Brown, if you look at some of the, the footage from the Brownsville, the so-called Brownsville revival back in the 1990s, it's just fanaticism, utter fanaticism. And people shaking and convulsing all of And this is the guy who's this, this great teacher and all this kind of stuff. Um, okay, if, if he had said, well, yeah, there was a lot of things that weren't done great back then. Maybe what? But he's a full full enthusiast for it. And, and to be honest, I think his, his teaching has not really changed one jot in that time. This kind of naivety for stories such as this is mainstream. Now, you've got to test all things. This is not what it means to quench the spirit. We trust what the word of the living God, the printed, printed the, the inscripturated word of God, the written word of God, the inspired word of God says, that's what we need to follow. And the spirit of God leading us to the word. If the spirit of God is leading you away from the word, other messages, it's not the spirit of God. And the claim that the spirit of God will lead you away from the word of God is pretty blasphemous. And I just hope, and I've got e emails, and it's been really encouraging. It's usually years later that you hear from people who've come out of the charismatic movement and are now in reformed churches, and that is so wonderful to hear. Um, they might have listened to a podcast years ago, something from about eight years ago or something like that, or they watched one of the old movies, from you know, the films and all that kind of thing. That is wonderful. Sometimes you'd even forget having done it or whatever. But that's one of the best things you, that somebody born a Christian all the way through, probably, or maybe even they were even lost. Uh, kind of an example like Kosti Hin. Kosti Hin was, grew up in the Hin dynasty, if you want to call it that, or whatever, living in a, a pretty comfortable lifestyle, and then later on coming to know the Lord. And now speaking out against the abuses of the Pentecostal charismatic movement, he came from within it. I'm trying to remember that book. There was a book, there's been one or two books that have been put out by Costihan. But there are people who come out. But we need to do the hard work. 
I think sometimes we think in the reform camp, as long as we just put forth the positive truth, which we should, by the way, and this should be our bread and butter, the truth, and put it forward, and that will be enough. That's most of it, and that should be the mainstay of everything we do. But at the same time, there is a need to correct error. Not a, don't make a hobby horse about it. Um, there can be application that can be made um, about the blessings of Almighty God. Uh, Reason they're preaching there in Psalm 111 and talking about the blessings of God and how the Lord blesses his people. That's true. Absolutely, he does bless his people, but he gives them what they need, not their felt needs, not not Mercedes and all the things that they don't need. He gives them he gives them bread and water. He gives them their basic needs, what they need. If he gave them other things, it wouldn't be good for them. You know how we are. If we get too much stuff, if if we have more money in the bank, we we all it gives us more problems often, not help us. The Lord knows what we need. He blesses those who fear him in what they need. Doesn't mean it's going to be an easy life because having an easy life for much of us wouldn't be the best thing for us. We're we're to be f- fellowshipping and partaking in the and the sufferings of Christ. So um, I think we'll leave it there. If you have any questions, we get a radio at gmail.com. That's right, we get a radio at gmail.com. You can still sell send stuff to Megiddo Films at gmail.com, but um, probably more likely to try and keep all stuff pertaining to this program to that email. And just keep us in your prayers. Lord willing, we'll be back next week. We'll probably be going back to maybe doing another episode on the confession, looking at the fall of man next week. But send on anything you want me to critique. We get a radio at gmail.com. It's been Paul Flynn. May God bless you all.